So I was watching TV trailers for like three to four hours and deciding if Nestle should be in this show or that show. So like, it's crazy when you think about it, but I was like watching TV for a living. Welcome to the What the Heck Do You Do Career Podcast, an inspiring look into the everyday jobs of everyday people. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of What the Heck Do You Do? First of all, I really want to just thank you guys for being amazing fans. I cannot believe how much this podcast has been taking off from the beginning. Like, I really did not expect to get this many viewers and this much love. So really, thank you so much. It's so appreciated. And as a special thank you to you guys, I'm bringing on an amazing guest today who has such a cool story. He does a job that I think probably none of you have ever heard of unless you actually know him, which is pretty interesting because a lot of people are doing a similar job. And what I also love about his story is that he actually didn't start off at his current job. He switched around to a few different jobs until he found something that he was happy in. And I'm sure a lot of you can relate to that because most people don't find the right job on the first time. So I think that it'll be a really cool and interesting story. And um, I can't wait to bring him in. So his name is Harris Sabag. He is a TV media buyer and negotiator for Nestle. He actually works at a bigger agency that's called Group M, and he'll tell us all about that. So let's bring him in. What's up, Harris? Uh, hey, Carol. Thanks for having me on the show. We really appreciate it. And just like quick shout out to you. You're doing an awesome job with these podcasts. Listen to them every single week. You're killing it. Thanks, Harris. Fun fact, Harris and I appeared on my first podcast ever together. So I feel like this is a nice full circle where now I'm hosting and having him as a guest. So it's a real honor for me, too. Sounds good. I'm excited. <laughs> All right. So I don't think I've ever heard of a TV media buyer before. So tell us what the heck you do. All right, so pretty much we do the TV media buying for Nestle, which means every commercial that you see that's a Nestle product is from our team. We don't really make the, the, the actual commercial. We negotiate their budget behind the scenes with different networks. So we take all of Nestle's brands. They have about 50 different brands. I'm sure we can get into that later in the, in the podcast. And we separate those brands, um, make budgets for each one of those brands, and then negotiate those budgets and build commercial schedules, which each one of the networks, like we'll talk to ABC, CBS, ESPN, Bravo, and build everything out from there. Very cool. So like, yeah, like you're saying, Nestle has so many brands. Like you don't even realize Nestle doesn't own just like chocolate. They also own like Poland Springs, like all these random brands. Yeah, like everyone always says, oh, you own Kit Kat. Like honestly, <laughs> that's actually the, the European brand. We don't even do any work with Kit Kat. But like everyone knows, like Nesquik, those Nest brands like Nescafe and Nespresso is all us. We have brands that a lot of people don't know, like DiGiorno's Pizza, Hot Pockets, no Stouffer's. We have a ton of pet foods like Friskies, Fancy Feast, Dog Chow, um, a lot of different skin creams. Like maybe you wouldn't know, but it's like definitely one of the smaller areas of uh, our ownership. We have like Boost Energy Drink, Carnation. Uh, San Pellegrino, Poland Spring. So like we have a ton of different brands that a lot of people don't know about. It's actually very, very interesting. It's so funny because I was telling somebody that I was having you on and that you work at Nestle and they were like, Nestle owns half the world. Like you don't realize <laughs> they own half the world. I'm like, now I get it. They really do own. They, they have stake in every single industry, like from pets to foods to just like all these skincare like who would have even known it's crazy yeah primarily a food company which is like thank god we're doing well like in these current times like during the virus like people need food so thank god nestle as a company is doing very well yeah so tell us a little bit so is it that they give you a certain budget and then you have to negotiate with the different tv companies 
to figure out, okay, how much airtime are we going to get? Which shows are we going to be on? Tell us a little bit about that. Okay. So like the client takes, I think it's roughly 1% of their revenue is goes to their marketing, but that's different for every single company, but they give us this gigantic number. It's in the hundreds of millions that they give us. And we have a ton of data on our side. We know their target demographics, like the majority of the brands that we have is usually women or adults and from the ages of 18 to 49 or 25 to 54 for pretty much everything across the board. So all of our data is around those things and we know what they want to see. We know what shows they, that they should be in. We know what's appropriate for them to be in and what, what isn't. And then that's how we do everything. But we do all the breakdown because that's like our specialty. They hire us for a reason because we know how to do that. So can you tell us a little bit about what exactly you're thinking about when you're trying to budget and trying to target different markets? Sure. So actually, I used to work on Target before Nestle, but Target and Nestle both had a very similar um, end goal, which is they want to get as many eyeballs as possible and different kinds of eyeballs. Like different people watch ABC primetime than um, Bravo in the morning. So like we have a big enough budget route where we could have a gigantic spread across all networks and across all times of the day. So if we have a product, um, like one of our products is Boost. Boost has a target demographic for adults 55 plus, and we know those people watch the news. So we're, po- we're going to make sure those commercials for Boost are on CNN, Fox News, uh, NBC, things like that, all those like uh, news channels. And if you're into like uh, DiGiorno's Pizza, that's mainly like, a college kid. So we know they're watching ESPN. They're watching uh, maybe the Mass Singer or they're watching uh, the Goldberg, something like that. So we know the certain products and the target demographics for those products and where they are and where they go and what they watch. So that's where we place our commercials. So is when you say we know this, is that because you're just logically saying like we know that these people do this or is it that Nestle is paying for data that they get from different companies to be able to really know that? Well, a lot of it is common sense, right. but a lot of it is also our history and the data that uh, has been accumulated by our team and our special data people in the company. Like um, when I was at Target, that agency was called um, uh, Essence, and there were specialists in accumulating like literally every different kind of piece of data you could ever imagine. So we use that to make our decisions. Like we use our, our previous buys from like previous years to as like templates for the next year. Right. So like if TV is on in my house, like how do you know who's watching and how do you know if I ended up buying the product? Like, I don't even know if that's something that you would know, but how do they get that? Yeah. That's not something I would know, but like, especially when I was at target, we had certain times where we had different kinds of commercials. Like we would have fall style commercials and we would see the fall style sales during that time when we had those commercials airing. So you can kind of get um, like a feel of how well our commercials are doing, but that's, it's hard to kind of get those exact numbers. Like it's hard for me to say. Right. Okay. So what does your day-to-day look like on that? Is it you sitting around brainstorming like where we should, like what types of demographics are watching what type of shows, or are you really working a lot with numbers and trying to like calculate every single dollar? What does it look like? All right, so it's mainly so we do things day by day, week by week, month by month, month by month, quarter quarter, and then also year by year. 
our yearly things is where we really do our gigantic brainstorms and we talk to all the networks. We're actually doing that right now. So right now is something called um, upfront season where all the networks are giving us plans for what they have for this coming year. And we review those plans, what the value that they bring with each one of those programs and maybe to see how we could improve and negotiate from those plans. So like ABC can come at us with, okay, we want you, or like, let's say we spent um, $25 million with ABC prime last year and we bought 15 different kinds of shows. We would see what we bought last year, how we could improve that from this to how we could improve that um, for the coming year. So let's say the Goldbergs performed exceptionally well and we bought uh, 23 units for the Goldbergs. Maybe we'll buy 36 for this coming year. And maybe Shark Tank didn't do so well and we bought uh, 15. Maybe we'll buy 12 this year. So like we use what worked last year to move forward for the next year. But um, like a day by day, it's more of like moving units for, for the networks. It's a lot of uh, preemptions, which are like, um, kind of replacement shows. Um, like, uh, if, so it's kind of happening a lot now with live TV. Um, so we have different commercials for like Fox news or CNN, and especially what's going on now with coronavirus, there's a million breaking news stories and things like that. So commercial times get cut. And if something was supposed to be, um, airing on a Wednesday night at eight o'clock and there's breaking news and the commercial didn't air, we may have to preempt that. to maybe, next week or, the, or a month later, like depending where there's availability is. And there's mm-hmm. also something called re-expressions, which are um, like, let's say the Goldbergs airs at eight o'clock. And for this special day, um, a different show is going to air. Right. We have to, they have to run that bias to see if we're okay with airing that new show. And if it's okay, then we'll re-express that unit. So that's more of like a day to day. Right. Cause like, I also have to imagine with like, let's say you were saying for specifically college students like DiGiorno, um, you're running it on ESPN, right? And you might have made that negotiation in the beginning of the year, but now ESPN is way different. It looks way different. They're not, I mean, now there's sports happening, but like in the past few months, there haven't been sports happening. So like, how does that, do you guys get to pull the ads? Do you, are you committed once you commit? How does that work? So th- it got very, very tricky. Um, so with coronavirus, a lot of our products are food and a lot of our products have suggestive imagery in our commercials of people getting together so in like march april time when this was at its peak we pulled everything back and pushed it as far as we could into like late may or like june so like our DiGiorno's pizza commercials could have had people getting together at a party eating pizza that doesn't really look too good when right not it's triggering even house. right and even like poland spring commercials you don't need to have those commercials when like people are flooding the stores buying water like we just don't need to advertise for that so we're mm. pushing everything back constantly and our delivery for each one of those brands, we're taking a gigantic hit because we had nothing going on for April for a lot of these brands. So every week we ask for delivery for the brands and whenever they're under delivering, we'll ask for free units because they owe us a certain amount of eyeballs. And if they can't deliver, they have to give it to us. Like that's part of the original deal. So during this time when we pushed everything back, we kind of put delivery, delivery on the back burner because we knew come June and like July when everything kind of catches up with itself, like we're going to be okay. But we monitor everything on um, a brand basis with our delivery when it comes to that. Uh, it's crazy. Cause I never really realized how like useful advertisements are. Like you just think, I don't know. I fast forward them, but it's crazy how you're actually seeing a hit on certain products based on not having that ad space. 
Oh, for sure. I mean, like, I honestly told them in my interview, like, sorry, I am a cord cutter. Like, I don't really watch that much live TV, but it's still the number one. Like, if you take anyone's marketing budget or any big company's marketing budget, the massive, massive, massive majority of it goes to TV. People still watch TV. Like, it's on the backgrounds of people's homes. Like, a lot of older people have it, but, like, we get our eyeballs. Like, people, people still watch. Very interesting. So that's your year-to-year plan. What about month-to-month and day-to-day? So month-to-month is more of like a dollar's perspective. We make sure our invoices for all our networks are perfectly in line and the billing for each one of our brands are perfectly in line. So we make sure everything we have in our system lines up exactly to what they have because if we have a little bit over or a little bit under, um, it could be a problem because if we have a little bit uh, too much, uh, if we have too many dollars going towards Stouffer's and maybe um, 7,000 of those dollars should have gone to maybe Hagen does, we have to make sure we make up for that in the previous month. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's a lot of working with the numbers. Yeah. Okay. And then day-to-day? And then day-to-day was more of like what I said before about moving units, preempting units, and re-expressing units. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you get to like a weekly basis, so every week we send out allocations to the networks where we have all the different units that we have for each one of the networks, and we have each one of those brands that those units are going to be airing and we also have our delivery every week and we have our traffic every week and traffic is something that we send usually at the end of the week to our traffic team making sure every single thing is perfect with all the commercials and then we don't have to worry about it we know they're all airing the correct brands so you keep saying we so i'm assuming you're working with a big team also i love the fact that you say we because i think it's just like very humble it's it's a lot of people will be like, oh, I do this and I do that. But like, it's very nice when you can acknowledge that it's not just you, you're part of the bigger unit. But um, what does that look like? You're working with a team, you're sitting in meetings all day. Yeah, so our team is broken down. Well, we have like, I think it's four, yeah, it's 14 people in our team. We have assistants, we have buyers, we have managers, and then upper management. And I'm not, like, I don't really do too much work with them. It's more of like the managers, buyers, and assistants that we do work with every day. And for us, it's broken out by day part. So day part is literally part of the day. And I'm responsible for prime time, early morning, daytime, late night syndication, which is like shows are on in the middle of the day, like Ellen or Family Feud, King of Queens, stuff like that. And then also news. And then there's also um, day parts where there's sports, um, Hispanic and cable. And those are other parts of the team as well. So like it is we. Because, like, there's a ton of moving parts and a lot of members on my team. But everyone has their own duties. So, at the end of the day, you got to make sure all the primetime commercials are good. Daytime is good. And, like, I know my team is going to make sure the sports commercials are good and the Hispanic commercials are good. Stuff like that. And when you say make sure that they're good, does that mean that, like, you were saying, like, the invoices are, are matched up? Or, like, are people watching this show? Like, are you just constantly looking at the viewership? Like, what does that mean? Yeah. So, we constantly look at viewership. We constantly look how things perform, and we look at that on a weekly basis and also like a quarterly basis. Every quarter, we get something called an MSA, which is basically your report card on how each network is performing. We, we uh, take what they promised us, what we actually have in our system, and then what they delivered on. So we have to make sure all those things are in line, and we give it about a 2% uh, leeway where things don't have to match up exactly because it's hard to match up exactly how many eyeballs they are saying that they're going to give us and how many actually happen and how many are in our system. So we kind of give 2% there. And then if things don't match up, we have to do a little bit of research of why 
they didn't match up. And then we would go into further internal talks to see why they're off and if they owe us certain things or like we um, are overperforming. Right. So, for example, that you, in that yearly meeting that you're having right now, they might tell you, okay, we're renewing the Goldbergs for another season. In the past, we've had, I'm totally making up a number, 2 million viewers every time that we air the show. So you can expect 2 million eyeballs, which is obviously what you're looking for. And it could be that you paid a certain amount and then you get more eyeballs than you expected, or it could underperform. Maybe the season's bad. Maybe people are not watching TV, maybe something else, whatever. You have to do the research and figure out why that is. And then you have to reassess. Exactly. And like they could have introduced, let's say, a new character in the show and that let's say it was a younger character. So maybe a younger demographic would identify with uh, that show more often. So it may affect our numbers for our older demographic and that may alter uh, different things. But we look at literally everything across the board with how they deliver on the brand and also each program. Like each program has to do a good job with catering to our audience it's not just how stouffer's does well on goldberg's it's how goldberg's performs with the public as well so so interesting because you never think at least i don't that that's what the producers of the network are thinking of and the producers of the shows are thinking of. they're thinking how can i get you know a bigger audience but when they're introducing a new character how is that going to affect the type of demographic that's watching which is so interesting that i'm sure they are thinking about Exactly. And like a million things go into like new characters, but like it also goes like into reality TV shows. If they get like that, maybe that bitchy character on The Bachelor who they know is going to target or or they know is going to identify with a lot of people in one demographic, they're going to make sure to keep her in the show because people watch for that show. People watch for that for that character. And if they get more watchers then they can charge more money for their advertisements, which means that the network is going to want to pay them more money. So it's a whole thing interesting okay that makes so much sense so can you tell us a little bit about how you ended up here because it's just i never heard of this job but it's just it's so cool and i feel like i don't know it's just it uses a lot of different strengths so how did you end up here so i honestly never even heard about this job before i saw it um i mean this is like the fifth job i've had at a college i did a lot of experimenting in different areas i started in real estate mortgage finance Bigger companies, smaller companies, worked in sales, marketing. But I actually uh, learned about this job from a family friend slash distant relative. And he works at CBS in primetime sales. And he knew the person to contact on my side. I had a conversation with him. Things clicked pretty nicely. I was actually supposed to meet with him um, sometime next week. We have to find a time for us to catch up. Um, but he knew the person on my side to contact and set everything up and the rest is history. But like before this, I had no idea that this was even an industry. Like I just kind of thought, all right, commercials get on the air. I'm not really sure how it happens, but they just get there. Right. You don't even really think about it, especially because we're, we're fast forwarding through all them. So we're not even really thinking about that. <laughs> so it's interesting because I'm sure you accumulated skills in these other industries or just like figured out things that you like and that you're good at that sort of work here. Can you tell us a little, a little bit about those? Well, yeah, a big thing is being good with the team. You have to be very good with deadlines because, like, if we have a commercial for CNN, it's going to air on Tuesday. Everything has to be perfect for that. Or everything has to be perfect for that commercial by Tuesday morning or latest. So, like, there's a lot of deadlines in my industry. You have to be very organized and attention, have a good attention to detail and also be a good problem solver. So when you're saying everything has to be ready, Like, what is that? Like, you're putting together emails, you're putting together invoices, you're like, what is that? 
So the big thing for us that we pay attention to is dollars attached to our brands and when they're supposed to be going. So like, let's say we have a Stouffer's commercial and it's going to go, it's going to air in week uh, 8-3, August 3rd. We have to make sure that that commercial is in flight for that week as well. So in flight means availability to air. So we could have an entire quarter but Stouffer's may only have maybe eight available weeks in that quarter where we're allowing those commercials to air. And that's also kind of how we track maybe Stouffer's sta- sales. It's a tongue twister. Tongue twister, yeah. All right. <laughs> um, so like flighting is big with us. Uh, dollars are big with us. And um, exactly when the commercial is going to be aired. So like if we have it on Tuesday, they have to have it on Tuesday as well. Like primetime is easier because The Bachelor airs on Tuesday. This commercial is going to air on Tuesday because it's attached to The Bachelor. But if we have a commercial on ABC Late Night News, that runs Monday to Friday. So we have to make sure if we have a commercial on Thursday, they have it on Thursday as well. Mm -hmm. So is that like working with the producers? Is that just attaching it to an email? What is actually the work? So that's working with the sales team at the network. So each network has an ad sales team, and we talk to them every single day, all day long. Mm-hmm. So you're spending a lot of time on the phone. Uh, for us, it's mainly emails. If it's something that's really, really urgent, we'll go on the phone. But everything can be done through emails. Also, it's better because everything is in writing. There's a lot of mm-hmm. uh, codes attached to each one of the the units. So it's just easier when things are like just you can copy and paste things if you need to do anything. So you have to be a very good communicator, especially if it's going to be email. There's so many things that can be misconstrued in that way. Exactly. And you can't really let anything slip through the cracks. You got to be on your emails all day, every day. Like I, I looked at my email in my inbox today. I think I have two emails in my inbox. Like everything has a folder. Everything is answered. Like nothing could slip through the cracks. So I know a lot of people say that they don't want to be at a job where they're sitting at their computer all day and like answering emails. So can you tell us a little bit about what you like about that? Um, well, I mean, a lot of jobs you're sitting at your desk. I honestly don't mind that, but I liked One of my favorite things about this job is that I get to see my work on TV. Like in other jobs, you could see your work in other places. I love TV. I watch it all the time. But I I know, like if I'm watching uh, The Masked Singer, I know exactly when my commercial is going to be. And it's very cool to see it when it's there. It's like, that's probably my favorite part. That is so cool. And you also said you have to have problem solving skills. So where does that come in? Sure. So let's say we have a unit. Um, for the mass singer, and and just to be actually, clear, unit means you have a commercial lined up. Yeah, you have a, like unit's a, a commercial. page space, right? <laughs> yeah. I, 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 okay. A better example is like something for news, and like I was mentioning before, with live news and breaking news, that things are just really all over the place now. Mm-hmm. If we have a unit for hot pockets that's um, airing in the August tenth, and it's on CNN, and there's breaking news that week, and our commercial gets cut. We have uh, six more weeks left of the quarter where we could put that unit in. And if we only have two more weeks left of the quarter where Hot Pockets has availabilities, we have to make sure we find a correct time and day for that unit. And also, we don't like to overcrowd our units in different programs. So we don't want to have two Hot Pockets uh, commercials in that same half hour time slot because it's kind of like overdosing the commercial. (laughs) And you, you can get eyeballs from it but it's not as efficient as spreading it out. So we want right. to make sure it's as spread out as possible in the right places and also like not overcrowded. 
Yeah. And like you're saying, like, let's say when you were at Target, you had the fall line, but then they push you off six weeks and now the fall line is going to be done. You don't want to use that same commercial. Yeah. But sometimes you have to, like, if there's one more week left in flight for like a certain creative, you kind of, you're stuck, but that doesn't happen too often. And if the networks deliver and they perform the way they're supposed to, it's not a, it's not a big issue at all. It's only mm-hmm. big kind of during this time because there's so much breaking news and there's so much uncertainty. So things are all over the place. Mm-hmm. Right. Got it. So just like a follow-up question on that, can you change the, the commercial or you have to use the exact one that you promised them? What do you mean by that? So let's say you have a Hot Pockets, and, but then this Hot Pockets uh, commercial is like irrelevant now for whatever reason. Can you change it to like a Pellegrino commercial? Yeah, we can if um, if the Pellegrino's in the same flighting week as that Hot Pockets one. But so, what does that mean, hot, flighting week? So, flighting week is a week where the commercial is available to air. So, if um, if we're in week uh, August seventeenth, uh, and Hot Pockets and Poland Spring can both air in that week, then I can make that internal change. But at the end of uh, the year, at the end of every quarter, sorry. Hot Pockets has to have the certain amount of dollars attached to it. So if I change a unit that's $7,000 from Hot Pockets to Poland Spring, I have to find another Poland Spring unit with, that's worth $7,000 right. to change it back to Hot Pockets, and it has to be within a flight week that that Hot Pockets is in. So that's like where your problem-solving skills got to come in handy. What determines what, when something can be in flight week? Is it just arbitrary from the beginning you set it up, or is there like something more to it? So that's up to the, the client. That's something they handle. They have their own preferences of what they want to do, and they tell it to us, and we, and we do that. The client meaning? Nestle. The, ne- oh, Nestle. Okay. Yeah. They tell you what you – so you're sort of trying to satisfy your client, which is Nestle, and also work with the network to meet the network's needs or when the network has availability, and you kind of have to – that's where the negotiator piece comes in because you're negotiating the price and you're negotiating, like, what you can and can't do. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, the networks are kind of working for us. Like we are their client. We're giving them a ton of our money. So they're trying to like, they're trying to do whatever is best for us first. Mm. But we are a team like me and the guys from CBS. We know every year we're going to give CBS a ton of money and we have to keep good relationships with them. So if they need a change and we can do it, we're more than happy to do it for them. But if it's going to affect our delivery with certain brands or it's going to create... um a little bit of an obstacle for us, we could pass. But if we could do something easily for them, we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Got it. So are there any requirements for this job? Um, it's mainly like college graduate. If mm-hmm. you have a major in a somewhat related field, that's okay. If it's like media or marketing, something like that. I was what was your major? Ma- I was an economics <laughs> major and a cinema minor. Somewhat related, I guess. I guess from like a dollar standpoint and cinema from Knowing the network. Right? Yeah, yeah, but it's like really nothing much. Um, college graduates important for this company, but, uh, anyone could really do this job. Mm-hmm. As long as you, like you said, you're detail oriented, you're organized, you can, um, problem solve and those sorts of things are more important than what major you were in college. Exactly. And also like everyone says this on other shows, like Excel is very important. I'm, a, I'm an Excel all day. If you know how to build a basic spreadsheet, you're okay. You didn't have to be like a wizard at like formulas and everything. But like, if you know how to get around Excel at an intermediate level, you're okay. Is that something you learned in college or is that something you taught yourself? I wish I learned it in college. Like that's one of my biggest regrets of like a class that I didn't take. I wish I took an Excel class. Um, mm-hmm, I agree. I learned, I learned all this stuff on the job and I wish mm-hmm. I came in before knowing it, but 
I know what I know now. But if I can go back in time and take an Excel class, that's the first thing I'm doing. Yeah, but I think that's also a good message, which is it's not too late and you can always teach yourself things on the job. Like even when people are saying you need to have these technical skills like Excel, you can always teach that to yourself. You can take a course that's external or you can also just on the job, learn it and ask people around you and ask them to help you, which I did also at my job. So I think that's a good lesson. For sure, for sure. When you're on the job, be a sponge. If you could learn anything anything from from your team, do it. And Excel was one of those things I learned a lot of those uh, different skills and Mm -hmm. uh, it means a lot. So what can people expect in terms of salary for a job like this? Um, so everyone starts off as an assistant role. You earn roughly $40,000 a year, and it's about a year of you doing that, and then you get a nice little bump up when you become So wait, what do you do as an assistant? Is that just like you help the negotiators with their day-to-day stuff? Exactly, yeah. Everything I need help with, the, the assistants do. The assistants are um, they're kind of in charge on an inventory standpoint. Like, they're kind of like warehouse managers for commercials. The things go in and out. They have to make sure everything is good. And then also negotiators are in charge of more of like a dollar standpoint. So between the two of them, pretty much covers everything. Mm-hmm. And then you get a nice bump up when you become a negotiator. Yeah. And then, I'm you... oh, sorry. I was just going to ask, is it commission-based? Like, based on good deals that you make? Or is it just a flat salary? No, it's not commission, it's salary. Um, if you want, you could pivot to the network side, which is probably what I'm going to end up doing one day. It's a better career trajectory. You have better um, opportunities to earn in higher six figures. I'm not sure if those are commission-based or not, but it is a sales role, so there is a chance of that, but that I'm not sure about. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, like you said, you could also be a manager. Exactly. And then you could be upper management on the team. You could even become a partner of the firm. Like it gets, like it's, everything is very structured at Group M, but you got to really work your way up the corporate ladder. And let's say you wanted to pivot to a different client. Like let's say for some reason you didn't like working with Nestle. Is that something that's easy to do? Very easy. So like if, working at Group M is very hard to get into. So once you're in the company, they try and keep you around. Um, but like I did a pivot from Target to Nestle. I was working for Target for about a year. There was a, a negotiator position available on Nestle. I spoke with my manager about it, and I had to like kind of pitch myself on why I was ready for the next step. She set up that interview, and then that's how I got the position at Nestle. And that's all under the same umbrella. So like once you're there, they really nurture you. So it's a very good company to be a part of. What was it about Nestle that was sort of a step up from Target? Is it because they have more money to work with? That's what a lot of people think. Like Their budget is bigger. But it was just the position. Like, there's a different position available. It was on that team. I happen to have gotten lucky. Like, Target and Nestle are both very cool accounts. Everyone knows Target. Everyone, everyone knows Nestle. Like, I interviewed for teams that were, um, one, it was a, a two-account team, and they did an antidepressant drug and the Marines. Like, I'm sorry, those are not as cool as Nestle and Target. Like, I got very Definitely lucky not. in the positions that, that, I, <laughs> that, that, that I fell into. That's awesome. Do you think that, the day-to-day work that you do matches with like who you are as a person. What do you mean by that? Like, do you feel like it's true to who you are? Like you're sitting there and you're, you know, working with numbers or detail oriented, you're problem solving. Like, did that always feel like that was you? Or was that like, once you got to the job, it was like, Oh wow. Like I like this stuff. Uh, yeah. Especially from a puzzle standpoint, problem solving. I was always very into that. So when it comes to making sure all the dollars fit perfectly, 
and the units are in the proper weeks and the weights in those proper weeks are there and like everything kind of is in line. That's something I always enjoyed. And then I guess I just applied it to TV and Which who, doesn't love, love TV? Always. Yeah. Mm-hmm. who doesn't love TV. Right. But you love it more than most. I guess so. I mean, I work in it now, so I have a different kind of appreciation for it, but I guess so. Yeah. I watch a lot of TV. It's a, maybe it's a little bit too much of a problem. <laughs> no, but now it worked out for your career. Look at that. Yeah. Thank God. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, you ever make like a really big mistake, like pick the wrong show and then it flops? Thank God, no. And if you do that on like primetime, it's a gigantic deal. Like um, primetime shows are much, much more expensive than cable. But cable could have maybe uh, 500 units airing in cable. Primetime maybe only have... I mean, you only have like 25 in a week. You don't know. So if you make one mistake on a really expensive unit in prime time, it's extremely noticeable. Thank God it never happened to me because it goes through a lot of uh, approvals and mm-hmm. like eyes see it. But thank God nothing happened yet. Right. So for most of these decisions, you're working as part of a team and you're all collaborating to make those decisions. So I guess even if it was a mistake, it's it's on the team, it's not on an individual. Yeah, also, it would be seen by someone else. Like my assistant looks at things, I look at things, my manager looks at things, the traffic team looks at things, the people mm-hmm. on the network side looks at things, and there's multiple people there that do the same thing as well. So for something that big to slip through the cracks, it's almost impossible. Got it. So what's the work environment like? Is it because you're doing emails all day, like it's a very quiet work environment? Is it fast-paced? Is it slow-paced? Uh, It's not too demanding of a job. Like, it's very easy to manage, like, a social life and a work life. So, like, they want to keep you happy. It's a very, it's open seating, sun is shining, easy to ask questions to different people on your team. But it's very relaxed. It's not like, uh, I'm not like a trader, like, where I'm going crazy on the phone all day, like, yelling at people. It's a a very relaxed job. Great. Can you tell us a little bit about open seating? Yeah, so, I mean, it's, like, I don't have a cubicle. I've had a cubicle at some of my other jobs. I kind of like it because it's own, it's your own little space, but open seating is, like, one gigantic room where there's a bunch of desks, no dividers, and it creates more of a communal environment. Which I guess makes a lot of sense because you are working as a team, as a community, so you have to constantly be working together in some capacity. Exactly. And we also sit next to, like, the social media team and the, the digital team for Nestle as well, and they're right next to us we could see them so like it's very very inviting the whole thing does it ever get overwhelming that you don't have like your own space and you just hear everybody all around you i always wondered about that so not really because we're not like on our phones all day so it does get quiet um right because you're emailing yeah exactly but like it's just normal office chit chat and like if things are happening within our team like just small internal discussions it's good to just have that in the back of your head like while you're working but it's, it never gets too loud or too overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So I know you said the best thing about your job is like watching your commercial on TV and that's so gratifying. What would you say is like the worst thing about your job? Um, oof, the worst thing about my job. I don't know. It's a really good job. I'm very lucky to have it. So I could um, hear that. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> now, I remember this one story where I was like, I couldn't believe that this is my job. So like during our upfront meetings, when ABC came into a, or Disney came into our um, our office to present, and they told us like about all the shows that they have for this coming year, and they broke it down from like ABC primetime news. They have other networks like uh, ESPN and Disney, and they got to to their Disney shows, and we're watching this like Drake and Josh type of sitcom, and I'm sitting there with my notebook, 
like taking notes on this kid show, like <laughs> why Target would be a good fit for the show. And I just took a step back. I'm like, I'm getting paid to watch this presentation <laughs> and like give my input. Like, oh yeah, I think Target would do good in the show. Like, it was unbelievable. Like I, even a couple weeks ago, I um I was looking at shows for our Do Not Air list. So I was watching TV trailers for like three to four hours and deciding if Nestle should be in this show or that show. So like, it's crazy when you think about it, but I was like, I was like watching TV for a living. It's very cool. It makes me extra happy to hear this because I really do. I said this in the beginning, but like, I really think it's so inspirational to be able to say like you had five jobs since college and I'm sure it was very stressful when like either you were in a job and you weren't liking it or you're feeling like, am I ever going to find something that I really enjoy? And then you could have that moment where you're like, holy cow, I'm getting paid to watch TV. And like all of this stuff that I'm doing really caters to my skills and to who I am. And it's amazing. Exactly. And like I'm 27 or I'm going to be 27 in a month. If I was doing this at 37, maybe it's not the best idea to really be jumping around. But like for the listeners who are young, test, test the waters in different companies. Like it's okay to, to swing and miss in industries or companies. Like I it happened to me five times. I'm happy where I am now, but like right now, like it works. So like mm-hmm. take a couple swings and misses if you have to. Yeah. People say twenties are for learning and thirties are for earning. So in your jobs in your twenties, be like you said, a sponge, soak things up, learn about what your skills are, what you like from each company, what you don't like. Don't just say, Oh, I don't like this. Let me move on to the next one. It's like, what didn't I like about finance? What didn't I like about real estate? What didn't I like about sales, whatever you were doing. And then that'll hopefully lead you to the job that you could say, okay, now this fits all the criteria of things that I like. Exactly. And sometimes you have to get lucky. And a lot of times it's who, you know, so like do your best to network with people. Like every job I've ever had with the exception of one job was from someone that I knew. So like talk to people, talk to me if you're interested in this, like it's, it's very easy to talk to people and learn about what they do. And that's how you get places in life. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think that that's been a big theme on the show. It's definitely part of the reason I created the show was so that people can hear that jobs are out there that are different from the ones that they know, but then really getting on the phone and speaking to people and letting them know I'm looking for a job and I, these are my skills and being able to articulate that. So, so important. For sure. hundred percent. I honestly, I think this is such a cool job and I'm sure everybody who's listening is like, wow, this is like so cool. I want to get paid to watch TV. I want to problem solve and think about like where I can move different units. So what advice would you give to somebody if they were considering becoming a TV media buyer and negotiator? Um, so well, there's different sides of the industry. You could be on the creative side. You could be on the buying side. You could be on the selling side of the networks. You could also be on the social media side or the digital side or even the print side in some situations. Um, but like if you know you like TV, you know you like social media, pursue that. And if you have, honestly have questions for me, I'm sure Carol provides um, information on the, on the guests. And uh, I'm very easy to contact if you have any other questions. Yeah, I can post your email. Definitely people can reach out. I think that would be great. Email, number, LinkedIn, very easy to get contact with. Play a little hard to get hired. No, no, I'm very easy. But... <laughs> um, is there something like if a high school student is listening to this or a college student is listening to this that they should do in order to like get a foot in the door if they don't know somebody who can network and get them that job? Um, I mean, a lot of our listings are on LinkedIn. But this kind of job, it's good if you know someone on the inside to put your resume in the right situation, in the right place. Because it's, it's a gigantic company and they get resumes left and right. So if you know someone that's in a company like this, I can help you get in, like your resume in the right place. So it's, it's, it's difficult to apply to a job straight up. But if you know someone, go through that medium. Okay, great. And now you guys know Harris. 
and you could reach out to him and then he'll definitely answer you because he's very easy to get. So. Exactly. Yeah. I got nothing else to do. <laughs> <laughs> Except watch TV. <laughs> um, all right, Harris, this is really awesome. Thank you so much for sharing what the heck you do. I think it was so interesting. I'm sure everybody learned so much and we look forward to having you back when you're at a network telling us what it's like on that side. I'm psyched. I'll be there. <laughs> Thanks, Harris. Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you guys for joining this episode of What the Heck Do You Do? We really hope you enjoyed and that you will rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. But more importantly, if you have a job or career that people just don't understand, please email us at whattheheckdoyoudo at gmail.com with your job title and a quick description of what the heck you do. Until next time.